first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 9 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. A second scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So just to look back at what we've been doing for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the ways in which God has revealed himself to us. We've been working with this simple question, how can we see God's will in our lives and in our world? How can we see what God is doing all around us and within us right now? It's sort of the perennial struggle, after all, to try and understand the will and nature of God and what it looks like to be faithful, not just in the general sense, but in the moments where we have to wonder, what would it look like for us to be faithful right now as we're confronted with those day-to-day situations and circumstances and questions? We wonder, what does it mean for me to be faithful in this moment? Now, this is hard because God seems so massive, so immense that he might be beyond understanding. And on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Psalms. 
And one of the things that comes back up over and over again as the psalmists are writing out their praises is the sentiment that, God, you are amazing. You are beyond what we can understand. You who set the earth in motion, who separates the land from the sea, who keeps everything in order, who crafts life and everything by hand. When you think of God in that way, and don't get me wrong, God is that way. When you think about the magnitude of God's grace and power, it can seem like he's truly, truly beyond knowing. But the thing is, God wants us to know him. He always has, and that's why from the very beginning of Scripture, you can see that time and time again, God goes out of his way to reveal himself. For us who can't know enough, who can't understand enough to understand God, God has done the work yet again so that he might be known by us. He's revealed himself. Now where we started with all of this was by talking about the importance of honest reflection, of prayerful reflection, of looking back at your life and thinking about the ways that God has been active, about the ways that God has worked in your life, and being honest about them too, not embellishing them, not claiming that God worked in a way that he didn't, because when we claim that God has done something that he hasn't, we miss what he actually did. So that's where we started, because by reflecting on how God has worked, we can begin to see how God might be working right now. But we also know that God has revealed himself many times throughout Scripture through miracles. Through the miracles of Jesus, yes, but as we see in our Scripture this morning, too, through the miracles of the Old Testament as well. Last week we talked about Jesus healing a whole town. We talked about how when they heard that Jesus was there and that he was healing people, as soon as the Sabbath ended and they could go to him, they did. And all of the people of the town brought their sick and it says they're demon-possessed. So not just people with physical afflictions, but those with spiritual illness as well. They brought them all to Jesus so that he could heal them. This is a common thing. As you read the Gospels, you'll find that time and time again, Jesus works these healing miracles. He changes people's lives in amazing ways. Jesus healed people all the time, and today we have another healing miracle. This time, in the story of the healing of ten lepers. But before we look at this miracle that Jesus performed, we're going to take a step back. We're going to go back to 2 Kings, to the prophet Elisha, the one who followed Elijah. Because one of the most important things we can do for understanding Jesus is realize that a lot of the things Jesus did, a lot of the miracles that Jesus worked, 
There are direct parallels to things that were done by great men and prophets and kings in the Old Testament, but the difference is that Jesus did them perfectly. Whereas they were, were less than perfect. And so, this is one of those instances where just as Jesus is about to heal ten lepers, we are going back to a story in which a leper comes to a prophet, Elisha, to experience God's healing. So in this first scripture reading, Naaman, who was not just a foreigner, he was a general of Syria. This was a man whose military might was known throughout the world, who had conquered cities, who defeated armies. This guy was larger than life, and he was powerful. And he wanted to be healed because for all of his amazing feats, he had one blight on his record, and that was that he had leprosy. So he went to Elisha because he'd heard that this man was a man of God and could heal him of his affliction. But when he got there, the prophet didn't care about his military prowess. He didn't care about his accolades or his victories. He didn't even go out to meet him himself. Instead, Elisha sent a messenger to meet him at the gate. And that messenger told him, okay, you want to be healed, go down to that river over there and bathe yourself in it. And that's it. The river wasn't anything particularly special, it wasn't clean, it wasn't beautiful, and yet it was what Elisha told this man that God was going to use to heal him. And then he said the leprosy would be gone. All you have to do is go and bathe in the river. But Naaman didn't really like this prescription. He had hesitations, if you will. Had this question of, can it really be that simple? Is this prophet just giving me the runaround? Is he just messing with me? And so he went off in anger. See, he wanted some great healing ceremony. He wanted some demonstration of his willingness to go to any lengths to be healed. He wanted to prove himself as he had so many times before on the battlefield. He wanted to show that he could earn his healing. But God didn't need Naaman to do anything great because Naaman wasn't the one that was doing the healing. All he had to do was go down to the river. <laughs> Is there a more relatable thought than the one that Naaman has here? This thought that obviously God can't show up unless I do the right thing first. Friends, if God works like that, then we would never see him. But thanks be to God, he doesn't work like that. And Naaman learned a lesson that we need to start with. And that's this, that it's simple to receive God's grace because it isn't dependent on our abilities. God's work doesn't depend on what we can do, but is entirely dependent on what he can do. So when Naaman listened and obeyed, he was healed, not only of his leprosy, but it says that he believed in God. It was simple. 
and it required virtually nothing of him. And this brings us to our second miracle, this time performed by Jesus upon ten lepers who came when they heard that he was walking by. In this story, Jesus is traveling. He's already gotten to be kind of known as a healer. And so these ten lepers, these people whose disease prevented them from coming into town, prevented them from joining their friends, their neighbors, their countrymen in worship, prevented them from entering the temple or praising God with everybody else. These people came to Jesus and cried out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. It was a simple question, a simple request, have pity on us. And what does Jesus tell them? He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. That was it. He didn't ask them to go travel to Damascus and bathe in the beautiful rivers there. He didn't even tell them to go down to the River Jordan and bathe there as Naaman had. Instead, he told them, go and do what everybody else has to do before they go into the temple. Go show yourselves to the priests and be declared pure and go in. You don't have to go out of your way at all. Just go. And so they did, and it says that as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus didn't ask them to do anything that they wouldn't have had to do on their way to the temple anyway. So nothing was dependent on them. You see, grace abounds in the presence of Jesus. God did the work already. For as simple as it was to, for Naaman to receive God's grace, it was even more simple for these ten lepers to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. See, just like last week, we have lives here that are being changed by Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end with them being healed physically. Because even after the lepers are healed, it continues on and says that one in particular, just one, came back to Jesus to give thanks and to praise God. What a powerful story of a man who's been healed, who's been welcomed to come back into worship for the first time in years, whose neighbors no longer have to keep their distance from him or risk becoming impure or worse, getting his disease. How beautiful that through the healing power of Jesus Christ, this man was brought back into his community. And yet, how, how much more powerful still the image of a man who's been healed coming back and giving thanks to God, knowing what has been done for him. And to make that moment even more powerful, as though that's not enough, it's revealed that this man is not even an Israelite. He's not even one of what they say were the people of God. But he comes from somewhere else. He's a foreigner. He's an outsider. And yet he came back to praise God. And what does Jesus say in response? He asks, were not all ten cleansed? 
Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus told him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. See, Jesus wants us to experience healing. That's why he went and performed healings everywhere that he traveled. But it's not just that. We see in this story, we see in what Jesus tells this ex-leper, that thankfulness is important too. That the thankfulness is something worth thinking about. Consider this. You all know children at some point in your life. You've encountered a child, I'm sure. Uh, um, You know what happens when kids are at birthday parties or even at Christmas. And they get a gift. And they open it. And it's some cool new toy. What's the first thing that they want to do? Just naturally. Yeah, they want to go take it and run and go play with it. And so, so often you'll see kids open the presents and then the parents participate in this dance. And they say, now hold on, what do you say? They say, thank you. They say, okay, now you can go play with your toy. But the thing is, saying, making kids say thank you after receiving a gift isn't about the words. It's not about just training them to uh, have good manners, but it's hopefully conveying something deeper. That it's important to stop. It's important to recognize what somebody else has done. And it's important not only to say thank you, but it's important to be thankful. To genuinely appreciate what's been done. Friends, it's the same sort of thing here. It's not just the words that Jesus appreciates from the leper. It's the fact that he came back. It's the fact that he recognized that his life had been changed. See, it's so easy to be glad that some burden, some problem in your life has been taken away, that something has made your life better. That's easy. But this thankful man demonstrated that more than just his disease had been healed. Because thankfulness is the sign of a changed heart. I hope that you have spent some time, or will spend some time, thinking about how God has impacted your life in the past. I hope you'll spend some time in honest and prayerful reflection like we've been talking about. Because to see what God has done, to honestly recognize it, not just without embellishment, but with thankfulness, is so critical to seeing what God is doing not just talking about uh, avoiding embellishment. You know, we said, if you, if you find your heart strangely warmed and know God's presence in that way, but then go and tell people that you heard a voice or had a vision, then all you're really doing is missing the power of a heart that's warmed. Well, in the same way, we don't want to embellish the work that God has done because the work that God has done is enough by itself. But also, beyond just not embellishing it, we need to reflect on it with an attitude of thankfulness. Friends, I have been through some hard seasons in my life. 
And we all have seen some times when hope was hard to come by. And I am glad that we've made it through by the grace of God. But that's gladness. His friends, I am thankful at such a deep level that Christ had mercy on me, small as I am, to recognize that I had needs. Christ recognizes us where we are, small as we might seem, and brings deliverance. But the sadness and grief of loss is weak compared to the power of the one who conquered death finally. We know that through him there's hope not just for a time, but for all time. That this chaos will fade away because he is Lord, and he came for us while we were still strangers to him. Just as he came to heal a foreigner who cried out for mercy. Friends, I am thankful for what Christ has done, and I will throw myself at his feet with praise every day of my life to come. We look back at this scripture, this thankful man, and we see that he did something that none of the others did. He came back to Jesus. You know what I call that? I call that faithfulness. And what we can see through him is that you can't be faithful without first being thankful for what God has done. Whatever your burdens, friends, whatever your sicknesses or needs, simply bring it to Jesus. He's in the business, after all, of changing lives. And then, when we look back at what he's done, I invite you to come with a thankful heart. Because if you do, you'll find that it can be a wonderful guide as you seek to walk by faith. Amen.